0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary, genre bending debut novel, Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre order from your favorite bookseller. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Today marks the first episode of this week in our two shows a week for the entire month of Happy Thanks for Giving Your Support November. (laughs) Is that long enough? Last Monday, we spoke with William Boyle, and Friday, our guest was William Kent Kruger. Now this week, we welcome both Nicole Bart and newcomer Eric Bishop. I'm feeling very confident you'll love today's podcast as New York Times bestselling author Nicole Bart shares her several nifty insight tips to getting noticed, published, and an agent. Hey, it's a tough business and not that easy to get attention, but Nicole helps those of us who are writers navigate those waters. Without any further ado, let's talk with Nicole and her much-anticipated book, Everything We Didn't Say, right here on The Thriller Zone
1: you
0: doing I'm so good I was uh you caught me in the middle of Instagram uh stalking
1: (laughs) Instagram stalking me
0: yeah I was just looking (laughs) I was just going over your website and looking all of a sudden I clicked your Instagram and you're sitting there giving this cute little video you must have just done that recently
1: yeah like half an hour ago
0: (laughs) yeah I'm like oh I didn't get in on that contest
1: Mm." (laughs) oh shoot
0: Well, welcome to the Thriller Zone, Nicole Bart. So nice to finally see you.
1: Thank you. It's great to see you too.
0: Like I say, we're going to get to everything we didn't say, which is a a riveting book. And I have many things to say about it. But first of all, and I know this might come out of nowhere, but can we just talk about Iowa for a second?
1: Yeah, you bet.
0: I have never been there. I've never passed through it. Um, I've heard so much about it, uh, it's beauty and so forth. And, and I, two part question. One is, um, is the town of Jericho, which is featured in the book, anything like where you live and have you always lived in small towns?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in a small town and I actually live now in the small town where I was born. However, I married a Canadian citizen and we lived in Vancouver, British Columbia for several years after we were married. And our first son was born there. Never imagined that we'd end up back here. Like it was not in the plan, um, but yeah, this is where we found ourselves, and we've been here for 16 years now. Um, and yeah, Jericho is definitely based on on my small town and other small towns that I know. Um, I think that the rest of the country assumes that the flyover states are pretty forgettable, and I think there's really fantastic secrets and things to mine in these places. These yeah, places. yeah.
0: Vancouver caught my ear when you said that because yeah. <laughs> that is, to, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yeah, it is. Hands down. We love it so much and we miss it every day.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and I don't want to jump ahead, but I'm going to jump ahead. Let's see. So, uh, uh, American Canadian. And did I read, um, there was another
1: two more actually. (laughs) Oh, wait. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What are those two?
1: Our family is American Canadian, Liberian and Ethiopian. And we are all dual citizens and we all have a different combination of dual citizenship. So.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's no easy feat.
1: No, it's not. No, we border patrol agents just kind of look sideways at us. When we pull up and hand them all of our documents. Oh
0: my goodness. Having been, um, I remember one of the first times I flew into Vancouver, it was late at night and I was carrying tons of video equipment, film equipment. And, um, Late at night, an American on a small flight carrying a whole lot of what looked like contraband. I spent a long time in their little office.
1: I'm sure you did. We've been stopped numerous times. We've been separated at the border. Um, They thought my husband was trafficking me once because we were driving over the border to meet friends for dinner. And I had my coat. I just threw it over me and had over the front of me. And I had my hands tucked underneath it. So when the Border Patrol agent saw me, he thought I was cuffed underneath the coat and hauled my husband out of the car and crazy stuff.
0: Uh, As a New York Times bestselling author and a ghostwriter and a speaker, how do you possibly have time to raise, I I read, five children?
1: We do have five kids, and four of them are teenagers. So it's a little crazy around here. But, you know, I... I function a lot better when I have a lot of things going on I think I'm very high capacity and when I don't have something to do I tend to spiral it's not good for me so I like being busy I schedule myself really rigorously every night I lay in bed and um, look over my calendar and what's coming up the next day and just make sure I have it in my head and yeah I can hit the ground running then.
0: There is a theory I've just recently learned uh, but evidently didn't learn enough to remember the name of the theory, thank you very much, um, that says that you will perform better when backed into a pressured situation. You'll actually perform at a a higher capacity. Have you heard this before?
1: I have, and I do think that's true for me because I've taken sabbaticals before. I've said I'm not going to write or, you know, I take a week away from my kids and I try to unplug and I just kind of fall apart. I'm a lot better off when I have things going on. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm going to come up with that title and squeeze it in okay. here because it's a it's a great little theory. And when I heard it, it made me remember a book that I read by um, I think it's a Russian author Mikhail Chik sent me high, which the book is called Flow, Being in the Flow.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. which
0: is being completely present in that magical moment when you're, in our case, writing a story or doing a podcast or painting a canvas or building something with your hands that you're so specifically in tune to it that time literally just either evaporates or stands still.
1: I love those moments. I wish I could capture them more often.
0: <laughs> well, and, and I think the magic is, if I may belabor this point just a second, is that the, the magic is to find that place of passion yours evidently is writing very quite evidently and just be there be present it sounds so simple but when you're really truly present um I think you you open yourself up better to that capability
1: I couldn't agree more and I'm probably jumping ahead in the conversation but in order to write my book or all of my books, actually, I turn off all of my screens, I get rid of my phone, I take a paper and a pencil, and I go sit in a back room and shut the door, and I don't let myself out until I have anywhere between 250 and 1,000 words.
0: Wow, okay, now that, yeah, you are jumping ahead, but that's great. Um, (laughs) No, perfect. It's a free-for-all, right? Yeah. And that was a question, there's always a two-part question, and I ask this because I find it fascinating uh, being a writer as well, is the method. We all love the method. Is it quiet? Is it not? Uh, I'm with you if if I have a phone nearby or any kind of a screen that has any information, I'm screwed. If I'm really going to beat out that um, outline or the essence of where I'm going, it's different once you're and I know you like to do a lot of research once you're in that research space and you need to have that browser open to confirm addresses, you know, locations. But, uh, but pen and, or pencil and paper, that's, that is delight for the old school. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I, you said the flow and getting into the flow and that's really the only way that I can do it. I believed with this last book, Everything We Didn't Say, that I didn't have to do that anymore, that I had matured and I could write my, my book on a computer and you know what, it just didn't work for me. The first draft was terrible. And it wasn't until I gave that up and went back to my roots and sat down with a pen and paper that it really started to come. And that's where the magic happens for me in that space between the pencil and the page.
0: Do you think, and this is an interest, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you think it's in part the tactile connection, um, whatever that is, a visceral tactile connection and the, uh, the, and here's it for me, taking the extra time that it takes to really go okay that sentence is important because for me my handwriting over the years has gone to hell quite frankly <laughs> but if I take my time especially on good paper and a good pen um, you feel like you're really digesting and, and uh, making it most important does that make any sense at all please
1: absolutely it, honestly it's a bit of an out-of-body experience for me in that I have a long or actually it's a shorthand I write I write everything out, but I have my own shorthand that I use that's, I don't know, I don't think anybody could read it except for me. And I scribble across the page and my inner editor has to shut up because I have to keep going. I hardly take my pen even off of the paper when I'm doing it. And it just, I don't know, there's something really, really essential about it that helps me, helps me lose the room around me and the things that are happening and focus in on the story.
0: I love that. I think, um, I've had some really fantastic guests on this show so far, uh, only a half year old and PJ Vernon was on recently. He's, he's a dynamo. He did uh, a book called Bathhouse, and he had a similar thing. He said, you know, I, I just sit down and I just bang it out. I don't sit there and go, Oh, what about this? And I'm notorious for that. I will sometimes write a paragraph and then I'll go, could I make that paragraph better? And if you're not careful, <laughs> you'll go down this rabbit hole and of just overdeveloping and, and not getting the forward progress momentum that you wanted. And sometimes, yeah, I think that's a detriment. Good point. For sure. <laughs> now, I read on your website that you want to live, I love this, you want to live in a world that's filled with handwritten letters, uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and great conversation. And here's, you're a woman after my heart. <laughs> here's what I love about that is that the um you know one is a lost art mm-hmm. handwritten letters um one's a refreshing pastime we'll call that refreshing <laughs> pastime i like that yeah and the last is a genuine gift that i think we can give people is to sit down and just the art of conversation and listening
1: i couldn't possibly agree more i I love handwritten letters, and to this day, I I write. I try to do at least three a week. I have a whole stack of cards, and my daughter makes them for me. And I have special pens, and I'm kind of a geek about stamps. I'm a big fan of fancy stamps, Um, and I love mailing letters. It's just a fun thing to do.
0: It is, and it's so old school. And um, Kent Kent Kruger was on my show recently. He's going to be, or actually, going to be on uh, this week. He wrote me a little. Personal note and stuck it in a book, and I thanked him on there. And he acted like it was no big deal. And I'm like, dude, that is such a big deal because who does that anymore?
1: Yeah, they're hard to come by. And you are going to love Kent. I don't know if you've met him before, but he's actually my mentor. He's been my writing mentor and friend for the past 15 years, and the man is an absolute living legend. <laughs> he's a gem.
0: Yeah. Oh no, I have met him. I mean, uh, he he'll be on Friday, but we've okay. you know we've we've already recorded the show, and he he is, I'm so glad you brought this up. He's probably one of the gentlest spirits. And I don't mean that any kind of like a meek, mild manner, just so, uh, there's compassion and there's warmth and genuineness.
1: You're so right. And his wife, Diane is exactly the same way. And together they're just, they're, they're a gift.
0: How did you guys meet?
1: Uh, We share an agent, and when I started my career 15 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. I was not um, in the publishing world or in the circuits at all. I didn't know anybody, and Danielle, my agent, said, I would really like to connect you with Kent. I think that he would be a real help to you, and we just really hit it off, and we've met with our spouses. Um, My husband and his wife are our dear friends, too, and we try to get together about once a year and just connect, so
0: This also reminds me of the fact that the writing community is so supportive and uh, so gracious. Uh, uh, Chris Hottie was on the show uh, last week, and he was saying that he's just tickled beyond measure because he came from screenwriting. I don't mean to keep dropping names, but since this is so much an important part of my life, um, it's so fun to talk to all these different people and he said he loves in screenplay writing, it's all Hollywood all the time and it's not always quite what you think it is. Whereas in the writing world, it's everyone is so warm and giving and supportive. That was the thing that always came back.
1: That has been so true in my experience. I. These other authors are not my competitors, they're my co-workers. And I find that they're the ones that cheer the loudest when something happens, a book comes out or you get an award or whatever. It's it's really great.
0: There's one more thing I want to uh, delve into your personal life before we get into the book, if we can. And that is this, it's a wee bit off the standard thriller beaten path, but super important, I can tell uh, nonetheless. And that's your work with One Body, One Hope. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah so our second son is adopted and when we were in Ethiopia bringing him home we stayed in a guest house for three weeks. We had to be in country for almost a month and the gentleman who had a room next door to us just became a very very dear friend. So he was actually a pastor from Liberia and we left on the same plane landed in in Sudan and then we went our separate ways but we promised to stay in touch and after just a couple of weeks we realized that there was a lot that we could do to help. So he had taken in 35 orphans after the Liberian civil war and didn't really have a way to provide for them. So we started out with a child or a child sponsorship program and it has just blown up from there in the last 15 years. It's crazy. We now have three different children's homes that serve over 150 kids and their extended families, uh, six schools, a commercial farm, 150 um, employees across the country of Liberia in different capacities. We just, there's a lot going on community redevelopment. It's it's very exciting.
0: Wow. And you, and this is a full-time side investment of time and energy for you, right?
1: You know, it has been for years. My husband and I kind of do it together, but we have an incredible board and then we have teams. So we have about 30 people in the United States that have volunteered and just given of their time to do this. And we have for the last 15 years of the ministry maintained our promise that hundred percent of the donations that come into our organization go straight back out to Liberia. We don't take any of that. Um, Our, our, not employees, our volunteers are the ones who pay for things like mailing and printing and t-shirts if we decide to do that. So that's been really great. But for the first time in 15 years, we're actually hiring. So we're gonna be hiring a full-time director of ministry this fall and yeah, are having so much fun going through the applications and seeing who's gonna take that role.
0: So that we can give uh, some assistance to that, uh, how could my audience help you or learn more?
1: Absolutely, we're online at onebodyonehope.org. Uh, we're also on facebook and instagram and yeah you can pretty much find anything about us right there
0: awesome all right everything we didn't say now nicole i don't do this often i don't always get to read all the books and i will be perfectly honest with you i um, i got your book a little bit later had a stack ahead of you and and i said okay i have to have a pretty good idea you know of what this is about when i talk to her tomorrow so i started reading it last night i fell asleep I got up this morning before five and finished it. Wow. uh, Probably the fastest I've read a book. And uh, it it was delightful.
1: Thank you. I'm very impressed that you read it so quickly.
0: Well, I have uh, picked my my reading uh, capacity has picked up because of all the different books I'm trying to read, but it really was it left me with um, and, and I made some points here if I can. We're gonna, I'm going to jump ahead because these are the feelings I always keep a, a notepad with me so that I can jot down and I want to be able to be super focused. The very first point I went was wow, um, which is a, a common response for me and it's completely unique. Um, Joke coming from a filmmaker background. Number two, it really it almost felt, and I wrote this word down: documentarian in scope. In other words, I felt like it wasn't fiction. I felt like I was actually reading a tale, a live tale of trauma.
1: Thank you. Well, that's an incredible compliment. I really appreciate it.
0: Also, this is my favorite. I thought I had it. I thought I had it pretty well figured out. Especially, you know, having uh, some insights. Sp- scoop on how stories work. I'm like, Oh, okay. I got it. And then the second time I'm like, Oh no, I I definitely have it now. <laughs> and I got to the end and I'm like, I didn't have it.
1: Oh, that's good. I get to yeah.
0: <laughs> And I, I was like, how did she catch me? How did she, you know, cause we all, we're our worst critics, our hardest critics. And I'm like, man, she, she got me.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. I, Writing mystery is really, really hard, um, much more complicated than I, I think most people give it credit for. I I had a lot of anxiety starting out when I began to write mystery and suspense because I didn't think that I had the ability to pull it off and do it well. And at the end of the day, I just decided I wanna tell a really, really good story. And it's okay by me if people can figure out what the ending is. And then the end of the, the ending surprised me too. Like I wasn't expecting it when I started writing. So it ended up being a twist for me.
0: You know, friends will come over to have dinner with Tammy and I, and they'll say things like, oh, well, you you, you know, you had that figured out. You probably planned this out in an outline. And oftentimes I'll go, I'll be honest with you, I vacillate between uh, pantser and plotter sometimes. And if I'm in that mood of really wanting to be more outline or or rather pantser, you know, maybe I'll have an outline started in, but I'll just kind of let it go and I'll I'll be in the flow and see where it takes me. I love those moments where you surprise yourself and you go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And then it takes its own journey and you're kind of along for the ride.
1: I love that. That's a moment of magic when you're writing. Yeah.
0: And my last point was this. Um, my very first guest on this podcast was May Cobb. And shortly thereafter, Megan Collins came on. And as I finished this book, just about an hour before we met, I, th- I said, I can't wait to tell these gals about this book because they're going to love it.
1: Oh, thank you. That's such high praise. I love them both.
0: <laughs> I just discovered them uh, by way of the show. So, um, you know, that's one of the really fabulous things about this show. Yeah. Now, how about you telling my audience so that I am, I want to be super careful not to give anything away. So, how about you just give me a great uh, thumbnail sketch of what this story is the, the Murphy murders, the gal Juniper and her brother Jonathan, and the town of Jericho?
1: Absolutely. So, everything we didn't say is about Juniper Baker. She's a special archives librarian in Denver, Colorado. And she returns to her small town in Iowa ostensibly to help an old friend. That's her cover story. But really, she's there to solve the 15-year-old double homicide that changed her world. Uh, the, Murphys, the Murphys were murdered the summer that she turned 19 and yeah her whole world kind of exploded from there so she's back in town trying to win back the daughter she left behind and see if she clear her brother's name he was the main suspect in the murders all those years ago
0: did you have a particular i always love to ask this because i wonder how other writers minds work did you have a particular thing that got planted in your subconscious and i if i remember correctly you were writing this primarily during COVID, right
1: I rewrote this book 3 times. The first draft was terrible. The second draft was not great. <laughs> and you're you're reading the third, but I'm sure as you're writing you also know that it's a lot more than that. I mean there's micro edits that are going on all the time. So yeah, it was a really difficult book to write. It's been in process for about 3 years. And for me, it started with a cold case in Iowa that I stumbled across and totally accidentally. I wasn't yeah, I wasn't planning to come up with something to write a book on. But it just kind of gripped me and wouldn't let go. So that was where it started.
0: So do you, are you like myself? Do you, do you keep a pad nearby? So if something triggers your head, you'll jot it down because uh, uh, maybe later you'll go, oh, what was that thing? And if you don't write it down, you forget it.
1: Yes, constantly. I have pens and pads everywhere. <laughs> Drives my husband crazy.
0: Yeah, my wife is always like, "Honey, uh, I've I've learned not to touch your pads, but you have like seven around the house. Can you just like put them in one stack for me, please? Maybe in your office." <laughs> a theme I took away was a pain and mystery from the past that never seems to disappear. And I, I you know, I, I thought to myself, we all have skeletons. Some we face, others we don't. Does that feel similar to? kind of the theme that you were working from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a friend right now who's getting her doctorate in social work and she wants to be a, a clinical psychologist and work with people. And she, about a year ago, told me, you really need to go to therapy. Like, go find somebody. And not, <laughs> your face is fantastic. <laughs> not not because I was so messed up. She was like, you know, if you're running at like a B, you can get yourself to an A- just by talking to somebody and working through some things that you might even not not even realize are a part of your life. So I did that. I connected with somebody and I went to her for a couple of months and it was unbelievable what she was able to pinpoint in my past and say, hey, I still think you're carrying something from this that happened a really long time ago. And I think, no, you're crazy. I can't possibly. And and it was true. I I think that we all carry the burden of regret and secrets, betrayals, things that have happened to us in our past. And we think that we can just move on from them and be healed and i'm not so sure that that's true and in everything we didn't say that thing is really big you know it's it's a murder it's a it's a double homicide but for most of us we have those instances too they just look different
0: well you 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 uh focus on a really interesting topic about the subconscious mind and what we tend to compartmentalize uh, and put off to the side where we think oh you know what I'm over that. I'm good. I'm. Good. I got this. Yeah. And then it isn't until years later when it bubbles up in a situation and you go, "I thought I had gotten over that."
1: Yeah. And so often we haven't.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me get my couch out real quick. Maybe you could
1: just help <laughs> yeah. me. <with> some... Absolutely. <laughs>
0: oh. You know i I often in the past have had, uh, mixed feelings about flashbacks. I I've been in writing classes where some will say, don't ever do a flashback, whatever you do, don't start with a flashback, blah, 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 blah. All right. Well, two things, first of all, uh, forget about the <laughs> rules. I'm not a big rule follower probably comes from being a preacher's kid growing up that's a whole nother thing, but not a big fan of rules. Uh, but the, the, the way you did flashbacks, the way you went back and forth in time was super unique. It, was, uh, it took me a second to go, oh, bah, bah, and then I realized, oh, it was so powerful. And, it, and just talk to me as a writer about that, because I love the way you did that.
1: Thank you. Um, it wasn't my intent to write in a dual timeline for the book. So I started out in third person from Juniper's perspective present days. She's like 34 years old. And I thought that I would tell her story in her memories or her conversations with other people. And it became apparent really quickly to me that I didn't wanna do that. Like I was so enamored with her story and it was just so much fun to write about her as a 19 year old, you know, then summer after high school graduation when you're 19 and the world is just unfurling before you and there's some first love going on in there and, you know, escaping your small town. And I just discovered that I really wanted to write that story like in the present tense and in first person. So, um, yeah, it was really fun to jump back to that and, and write her story almost in two pieces, but I, I hopefully they come together.
0: It did. It was perfectly. Uh, so it's great. So past is in first person. Present is in third. Yeah. Um, what did your editor think about that out <laughs> of the gate?
1: Yeah, they weren't. My editorial team was not thrilled with it at the, at the beginning. But after we talked about it, they came around to my way of thinking. And to me, the last time that Juniper felt like perfectly embodied, like a part of herself and holy June, well, she called herself June back then, holy June Baker, was when she was 19 years old. And then this tragic event happens and her world explodes and she leaves her small town and she leaves her daughter behind and her family and her brother who she had such an incredible connection to and she dissociates to a certain extent. So it made sense for me to to write her at 34 years old as Juniper Baker, a completely different person a little detached from herself almost seeing her worlds from the outside. And those moments that are just fresh and alive and visceral are her at 19 in the first person. I hope that makes sense to a readers. No, it
0: makes total sense. Um, uh, no, t- total sense. You know, I, I have not, um, kind of sorry to say that I haven't read your work before, but, you know, y- you discover when you discover, right, Nicole? Yeah, totally fine. But we have, what, 10 books?
1: This is my ten, yeah.
0: And this is number 10, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. After the Leaves Fall, Summer Snow, The Moment Between, Beneath the Night Tree, Far From Home, Sleeping in Eden, The Beautiful Daughters, Little Broken Things, You Were Always Mine, Everything We Didn't Say. (laughs) Even the titles have a lyrical quality about
1: them. Thank you. I I was a poet before I ever wrote short story or novels, and I think that that probably comes to play.
0: (laughs) See? I knew it and I didn't even know it. So tell me, how does this story differ from those stories? Is this com- a completely different departure from these other stories? Or,
1: Yeah, you know, I think if you looked at each book individually, you would see that there's a lot of difference be- differences between them. But to me, it felt like, I mean, when you're writing it, it just feels like this continuous journey to a certain, to a different place. So I started out writing contemporary fiction in the Christian fiction market. Um, so it was, it was faith-based and it was... Um, kind of new adult. I don't know if you remember, new adult had a bit of a moment, Mm -hmm. maybe 15, 20 years ago, where it wasn't quite young adult, and it wasn't quite, you know, grown ups. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of writing that, and slowly evolved into some literary fiction. I wrote a couple of books that were deemed literary, uh, quite literary, sorry, I'm stumbling over that word, Um, and realized that what I was reading were domestic suspense and mysteries, and that was what I was loving. That's what I was picking up on my nightstand, and I kind of wanted to go in that direction, but found it very intimidating it is really difficult to write a mystery and the foreshadowing the red herrings you know the plot twists making it all make sense so that people don't throw it across the room when they're done (laughs) that's just a hard thing to do but I think that everything we didn't say is my first like real domestic suspense thriller mystery whatever you want to call it and it's been a progression to get there but here we are
0: And I'm not a big fan of uh, spending a lot of time talking about what's next because we really want to talk about what's right in front of us. It's, again, being present. But will you, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, as you can (laughs) see, will you stay in that same um, genre? Will you uh, stick with this kind of thematic structure uh, moving forward, do you think? Do you have something already in the works?
1: I do. I'm working on a book right now that will stay in the same vein as everything we didn't say. There's no title yet, but it's about an Instagram influencer whose daughter goes missing. And I am so excited about it because I'm just having such a cultural moment with social media. And I'm sure you've read all about Facebook and Instagram and how the creators know how deeply they're impacting young adults. And let's be honest, adults too. This is shaping our minds and shaping our lives. And I want to talk about it. So
0: Actually, let's talk about that a second because I'm, if, I'm not necessarily drilling down on that book. I love that idea, by the way, and I'm I'm very anxious to see what happens. But about the uh, and I was watching, as I said, st- I use that word stalking. I'm not really stalking, uh, but I'm just I'm enjoying watch looking through the window of your life.
1: Yeah, That's great.
0: Instagram and YouTube and Twitter influencers, I don't know who came up with that phrase, but it it is a a real thing. These people are shaping some of the mindset of culture today, and they're being paid uh, quite handsomely to do so. What's your thinking on that?
1: Oh man, that's such a tough one. Um, I interviewed some Instagram influencers for this book. Kind that's hard to say. Instagram influencers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a mouthful. Um, Yeah, I I interviewed a few of them and it's really interesting. There are some who 100% like leave their kids out of it. They won't take photographs of their kids because they don't want their children to be shaped by by what they're doing online. And then there are others who talk about their kids and say their names and show videos of them and, and watch them all growing up. And I... I don't even know where we should fall as a culture ethically on that to a certain extent. When you come to my Instagram page, I'm inviting you into my living room and we're going to sit down and we're going to have, you know, a cup of tea and we're going to talk about the things that are important to me. And there's, there can be a real intimacy in that and there can be really good things that come from that. I I feel like I have friends um, online that I've never met. And yet at the same time, what is exploitative and, how far can we take it, and should we be giving so much power into the hands of people who, who don't even know what they're doing with it? You know, they're making us buy certain furniture and wear certain clothes and and do our hair a certain way. To, to what end? I don't know. I, I have a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, but I'm having fun exploring that. Well,
0: the exploration is the journey, um, and there's a couple of things that come to my mind, and and maybe I'm being a little bit just peeling back my own personal. Curtain here, but I, uh, you know, sometimes Insta, well, Facebook first of all freaks me out. I don't know why Uh, they keep changing the rules, and I don't know. There was one day that I liked it because we'd keep all of our families close and so forth. But Instagram, here's my bottom line. I think what it is is I often say, and I'm saying this to my wife all the time. I'm like, I'll have a particular thought, and I'll go, uh. And I'll go on about it with her. and She goes, why don't you share that on Instagram? I'm like, and this is the thing, Nicole. I'm like, who wants to hear from me? I don't know why I do that. I mean, here I am running a podcast based upon a nearly 30-year career. And um, I don't hesitate to, you know, talk like this between you and I about topics. But I, I, I think when it comes to, oh, you know, I'm having this thought today. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, I always wonder: Does anyone really? Does that matter?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It, in the grand scheme of things, probably not. It probably doesn't matter to a ton of people. But uh, for example, my Instagram community is is small. We're reaching the three thousand mark, but but we really do have a community there. Like we talk about family, we talk about what's inspiring us. I do talk about my books, but not very often. And I I think we've coalesced around. Um, a set of ideas, a set of ideals that we hold together. And I've really appreciated the conversations that we've had and yeah, and the relationships that we've formed. Will it well, stay that way? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, like I said at the beginning at the very top, I was sitting there watching your little video on Instagram and it's just, you're so, you're so warm and kind and approachable and you, you know, you just pull me in and I'm sitting there going, Oh, I want to hear all about this. So thank you. Yeah, so I guess I'm kind of saying to myself, maybe, you know, like I say to my wife uh, that I have spent probably about 20 years learning how to build websites and how to self-publish books from doing covers to layouts, to fonts, to, I mean, all the mechanics. I'm one of those guys that I have to go teach myself to do it because I have to have the knowledge. And she goes, why don't you just share that with others? I'm like, who's going to listen? She goes, you know, people don't know how to do all that stuff because I always assume everybody already knows that. So, yeah.
1: You have a wealth of wisdom to share. You would be an instant success, in my opinion. People would love to hear what you have to say.
0: Well, thank you, Nicole. I didn't mean to turn this into therapy,
1: but somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Talk amongst yourselves. What I do, I'm an Enneagram too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, uh, I, as we start to wrap things up, because I know you got a busy day ahead of you, I do want to ask a couple of things. You, you triggered this thought um, earlier when you said nightstand and it, it was as I'm looking ahead to my notes, what is on your nightstand right now? What is it that you're reading when when you don't have to research a book or you don't have to do help the kids with homework and, and uh, the honeydew list or whatever is on the other shelf? What do you just sit down and dig into?
1: Yeah, so I read very eclectically. I love absolutely everything. I sim- I just finished Leanne Moriarty's newest Apples Never Fall. I just love her. I think she's brilliant and wise and she just minds the depth of the human condition in a way that most most authors that I read don't go nearly as deep as she does. And I just love her. Um, and what I'm currently reading is called For the Wolf. I think the author is Hannah Witten. I think she's a debut author but yeah, it's, it's a fantastical retelling of the story of Little Red Riding Hood, and I'm loving it. It's really fun.
0: And what is on your CD player Spotify list? What do you listen to when you're, I know when you're writing, you're not listening. So when you're just bouncing around the house, casual time driving in the car, what do you listen to for it? Whether it's for inspiration for writing or just entertainment? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm a podcast junkie and I'll listen to absolutely any podcast. I just like having that in my ear. But as far as music goes, I have to brag a little bit. Um, I was a high school English teacher for many years before I started writing. And one of my former students is a phenomenal singer songwriter. And his name is Joshua Hislop. That's H-Y-S-L-O-P. And he writes and performs the most beautiful music. And I love listening to him.
0: All right. Now my little rapid fire question. Super easy. Don't get nervous. It's, it's not terribly complicated. Um, if you and cause I know you love to travel. You're always talking about doing research.
1: <laughs> it's true.
0: If you and your family could take a year off and travel the world, money details are of no consequence. Where would you go?
1: We would do Europe all over the place. We have family and friends there and we would just tour around.
0: Nice. Anything specifically you like, uh, are, are you like historian? Do you like to see old structures or do you like to experience the food?
1: You know what? All of the above. I would like to tuck <laughs> myself away someplace, that, yeah, slow down, get away from, I don't know, all the noise and the hustle and bustle of American society, I guess. Uh, I, I guess I have this idyllic idea that you know, a village in the south of France would be the perfect place to unwind and write a book.
0: <laughs> My next question was, if you had never been to a certain place, where would that be for your, again, for aforementioned research?
1: Yes, it would be southern France or Spain. I have nice. been to Spain and I love it.
0: Nice. I Someone was talking to me the other day and said that Spain is where they want to retire to. Wow. Yeah, and because... <laughs> well because uh language is not a barrier. It's very uh it's you know the weather is kind of, and this is a Californian. Uh so many of my friends are leaving California. I don't know why. Um and very uh Mediterranean uh you know for uh, weather and so forth. And uh yeah, Spain. I keep hearing a lot about Spain. I've never been there, but
1: uh, it's amazing. I highly recommend it.
0: All right. Now. My wife and uh, Tammy and I are throwing uh, a a great big lavish dinner for you and your husband, because that's what we do. We do this for everyone. We'd love to have you join us and want you to bring two or three out of the ordinary guests with you. Dead or alive, doesn't matter. Who would
1: they be? Oh, my top two writers are Emily Dickinson and J.K. Rowling, just because I love their stories and I would love to hear I would love to hear the stories. I just want to sit down and ask them a million questions and let them talk. <laughs> uh, and as for a third, Oh man, you know what? I would bring my kids.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> they are so funny and so interesting and they love doing things with me. So I think you'd get a kick out of them.
0: Awesome. And if you were giving an up and coming writer, because I mean, New York times best-selling author, that is a title that you can wear with pride for the rest of your life. So to a writer's point of view, yes. what kind of advice would you give? Like, say, And I'm going to go back and borrow a conversation we just had a moment ago. You and I could sit down and say, hey, what can we help up-and-coming writers? How can they face this daunting um, opportunity and world of writing? Kent Kruger and I were talking about this, and he made this great comment about you know, I walk in a Barnes and Noble and I think, what have I got to say that hasn't been said yet?
1: I feel very much the same way. And if I were to encourage a new and up and coming writer, I, w- I would say two things. Number one, keep writing and don't give up. Um, you know, put your butt in the chair, grab your computer, your pencil, whatever it is you need and, and write the book. I think most people who say that they want to write a book have a really hard time actually finishing it, bringing it all the way through to completion and being able to type the end. And once you have a book that you can work with, oh my goodness, the sky's the limit. You can get an editor, you can rewrite it, you can change it, you can do whatever you need to do to massage it to get, in, get it into shape for publication. I really believe that. And then the second thing is connect with other people, connect with other writers. We are so available right now. We exist on all these social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and you name it, we're there. So follow us, start commenting on our posts, start interacting with us, and you never know what those connections might provide.
0: And I suppose a capstone to that was, uh, would be how did you go about or how would you suggest to writers who are appearing or approaching that final manuscript how to find that agent, that, that perfect fit, oh, that person would be a perfect fit for this story. How, what's your best advice there?
1: Well, every time I read a book, I pick it up, I flip to the uh, title page and I see who published it, who the editor was. If you look in the acknowledgements, the author will usually thank her um, or his agent and anybody else who helped out. And I just start following those people and figuring out, oh, I love this book. It's really close to what I'm writing. She was the agent for it. She was the editor for it. Maybe that would be a good fit for me too. And just start to figure out who does what. I've, I've heard of editors who've received queries from people who like they are they publish domestic suspense and they get a query for children's fiction. Like that's never gonna happen. So people are throwing spaghetti at the wall instead of trying to be intentional about what they're looking for.
0: And uh, Nicole, would you agree that that's a shift uh, in the last few years and what we may have seen even just uh, five, 10 years ago?
1: I sure think so, yeah. I, I actually didn't have an, an agent when I signed my first contract. So I came at it a little bit backwards. I got the book count contract before I got the agent. But knowing what I know now and hearing the stories that I hear from my editors and agents, I, you really have to know the industry and who the people are. And that's not hard to do. I hope that doesn't sound intimidating. It doesn't take a whole lot to yeah, look at the title page, the acknowledgements, look on websites and figure out who does what.
0: So when you say you went backwards, you, you went to a publisher before the agent. Is that what you're saying?
1: I did, <laughs> yeah. I was talking about how connections um, can be made in unexpected places and that's exactly what happened to me, that was my story. Um, I got 50 pages into the hands of an editor and she threw it in her slush pile, as she should have. Like, we don't do unsolicited manuscripts, that's not not kosher, but yeah, she, she stuck my 50 pages in her slush pile and several months later was reading her slush and came across it and loved it and that's how I got my first book contract.
0: You know, Nicole, I hear these stories happening and I'm like, I've never met anybody that ever had that happen. And I'm sitting here talking to a gal who did.
1: I'm sorry, it's a total Cinderella story and I almost feel bad telling it because I know so many people fight so hard for that contract.
0: Oh, don't feel sorry. Uh, put the glass slipper on that foot of yours and 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 absorb it because uh, you are one of the lucky ones who is at the right place. And what I want to say is, that that's encouragement to a lot of people. I don't see that as a negative at all.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, my connection was a friend of a friend knew somebody, you know, and it literally was 50 pages of paper, put in a manila envelope with my name and address on the outside that was passed from state to state to state. It went from Iowa to Michigan to Illinois and, you know, all over the place, but anybody can do that right now online. You know, they, They can follow us, they can start commenting on our things. We, you know, they can tweet. I don't know if you've heard of, um, oh, what's it called, Pitch Wars. Yes. Yeah, Pitch Wars, they can, they can tweet their, their one line summary on Pitch Wars or whatever, and somebody can read it and go, wow, I love that idea. And they have those connections right there at their fingertips
0: so in case i missed that i'm just curious so you got the publisher first and then did the publisher have a friend as an agent and they said here you got to read this or was it more of once that publisher deal went through and they said to you well you know you might need an agent and then you went hunting for it i'm just real curious yeah
1: that's fine um i actually got a two book contract so i wrote two books for them without an agent and then when we were done, they really wanted a third. The, my first three books are a series. So they decided they really wanted a third, but then before we negotiated, they came to me and said, you really need to find an agent. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. And I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. So, and I didn't know how to go about getting an agent. So my editor at that time, uh, sent me the names and numbers of several people that she said, look, I really trust them. These are good people. I think they'd be a good fit. So I just started calling people up and interviewing them. and. I really connected with um, Danielle Egan, Egan Miller. She's been my agent since the beginning.
0: It is a Cinderella story. And I actually love it. I, and you know what? You're so sweet. You deserve all that. So good for you.
1: Thank you. I don't know if I deserve it, but it sure has been fun.
0: Well, it's in your heart and that's a desire. So, you know, I, I believe that, uh, you know, you can have the desires of your heart if your heart's in the right place.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: How about that for a little uh, early morning side chair philosophy. I love it. (laughs) Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more about Nicole Bart, go to NicoleBart2As.com. And I know that you can follow her on Instagram because I've done it at NicoleBart2As or Twitter at NicoleBart.
1: True story. And I do have a Facebook account too, but I am locked out.
0: (laughs) How's that happen?
1: Uh, it's a two-factor authentication glitch. I They want me to, yeah, it's, I can't even describe it. It's crazy, but I've been locked out for about six weeks now. So you can find me there, but there'll be no new content.
0: Nicole, thank you so much for the gift of your time. This has been delightful.
1: Thank you. It was so nice to meet you. I really appreciate it.
0: And this book, folks, I don't know if you'll read it quite as fast as I will, but I think you'll enjoy it. Everything we didn't say uh, debuted last week and it is available now wherever books are sold. How about audiobooks? Will there be an audiobook version in the works? Yes,
1: yes, there will. Um, oh shoot, I forget the name of the gal who read it, but she was in uh, Blacklist. My son was so excited because he listens he watches Blacklist. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but one of the characters is reading it.
0: <laughs> Something I haven't asked uh other visitors to the show, and you would be a perfect one to ask because you have such a lovely voice. Had had anyone suggested that you perhaps read your own book?
1: I would love to. And I actually brought that up with everything we didn't say. And my agent was like, no, they'll hire somebody. Don't worry about it. But I, I would love to have that opportunity.
0: I think you should. I've done all my own audiobooks so far. Um,
1: you have a great voice.
0: Thank you. You're very sweet. But I think you should, because you, again, watching the Instagram, you just have this warm, approachable feeling. And hey, who knows the story better than you, Nicole?
1: I feel the same way and I'm from the Midwest and this is what I write about. So uh, talk to my agent.
0: (laughs) I have an idea too. This might be a little off the side path and maybe I should chat about this off mic, but I'm going to do it right here anyway. um, I would, if I were to need a, you're going to love this. If I were to need a female character to be in one of my books as a way for you to break into the audiobook industry, would you consider something like that?
1: I would love that. That'd be great. I have done some voiceovers and some acting and stuff um, in my past. So I'm not completely, (laughs) it's not completely new, but I would absolutely love to. I've done nothing with books. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. You got that people. (laughs) I I speak as though I have an audience. There's no one in here but me. (laughs) Nicole, once again, thank you for your time and great big success to you.
1: Thank you. It
0: was a delight to meet you. Thanks, Nicole. That was pretty awesome. Okay, now it's time to look ahead to this Friday as my new friend and new writer on the scene, Eric P. Bishop, sits down to talk to me about his debut thriller, The Body Man. I don't mean to exaggerate with lots of gushing praise, but I do think Eric's thriller is going to get a whole lot of noise, as in we're going to be hearing about him for a long time. And yes, He'll tell us all about who The Body Man is and much more this coming Friday. A quick reminder, please do us a favor and leave a review on your favorite podcast channel. Apple Music really likes five stars. We appreciate your support. I'm David Temple, and this is The Thriller Zone.